A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to, to see everyone uh, on, uh, on this chilly fall day. Um, we're continuing our short series uh, on the parables of Jesus in Matthew, um, particularly in Matthew 13. And uh, last week we, we looked at the first parable, the parable of the sower. Um, and then the next six parables that follow are all about something called the kingdom of heaven. This morning we're going to look at uh, the first three of those six. Now, a kingdom is not something I think most of us think about regularly. Um, it might conjure up uh, particular images in your mind of maybe something like the Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or the Queen of England. Um, I, I don't know, um, 
I'm, I'm from Canada, so uh, we're technically part of the Commonwealth under uh, under Queen Elizabeth. But but I think I think growing up in Canada, even though though we were technically part of this, this monarchy. Um, I think the only time we paid attention to the crown was when there was a royal wedding. Um, it, it didn't really affect our daily lives. However, uh, the language of kingdom is one of the ways the Bible describes how God interacts with his creation. The kingdom of heaven actually has a lot to do with our everyday lives. And so what we're gonna do this morning is take a look at three things. First thing is uh, kingdom expectations. Um, what are your expectations of the kingdom of heaven? Do you even have any expectations of the kingdom of heaven? You, you might not. The second thing is, uh, is kingdom reality. Um, like, like what do these expectations or, or lack thereof measure up to uh, do they measure up to what the kingdom of heaven is all about uh, as Jesus presents it here? Like, like, like what, what is that, the kingdom? And the third thing is uh, kingdom experience. Um, what, what is our experience of the kingdom of heaven? Like, how does it actually impact us right here and now in New York City or wherever you may be if you're tuning in on Zoom? Uh, what I think we'll see as we look at this um, is that this is going to lead us to hopeful living, um, living our lives with hope. And I think hope right now is something in, in our culture, that we as a culture, and often we as the church right now, are short on in the present moment. It's really easy to be discouraged with everything that's going on. So, so kingdom expectations. A kingdom, most simply put, is a combination of three things. You have a king, you have people, and you have a place. You take away any one of those um, and you don't have a kingdom, because a kingdom is really the sphere of influence that a king has. Um, in order to have influence, he has to have people, um, and it has to be in a place. So, so as I mentioned already, this idea of a kingdom is, what, is a main way that the Bible describes how God interacts with his creation. We see this right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God creates humanity, Adam and Eve. He places them in a garden. There, there's a, the place. And there's those three things. God the king, Adam and Eve are the people, the garden's the place. Um, but one, one thing to note is that... Uh, God gives his people a special role in all this. He gives them dominion over the creation. Um, we're to be stewards representing the king and caring for his creation so that it flourishes. Now, now that's all good, but what follows Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is always Genesis chapter 3. It's the story of Adam and Eve choosing to not trust God choosing to reject him as a sovereign king. And what this does is it disrupts the entire relational structure of the kingdom. It fractures relationships between God and humanity. Uh, Adam and Eve hide. It fractures relationships between people. Um, Adam and Eve, they, they blame each other. Like, like uh, when, when God confronts them, it's like, oh no, no, she gave me the apple. And, oh no, it, you know, it's just... Placing the blame, it fractures the relationships with each other. 
Um, it fractures the relationship to the rest of the creation. Um, they're ultimately put out of the garden. And it also fractures um, our relationships with ourselves. Um, there, there's, there's really no part of creation that, that survives this disconnect with God the King. And so, so the rest of the Old Testament records how history plays out with these broken relationships. Um, even as God's seeking out his own people and he has this eye to restoring the kingdom, but this fractured reality, uh, in this fractured reality, everything just keeps getting messed up. People turn against God, they turn against each other, and anytime there seems to be a semblance of a kingdom forming and, and, and things seem to be going well and healthy, it doesn't last. Eventually, God's presence leaves his people. And so by the time we get to our collection of parables, there's a whole host of expectations that have built up over years and years about what things are supposed to be look like when God finally comes to set things right. And that hope has become centered on somebody that God's going to send to bring freedom from oppression and, and restoration to his people. And so here's the situation um, as, as we, we look in at our, our time in Matthew. God's people, Israel, have had a series of failed kingdoms over the years. They've had a few good kings, but for the most part, it's been messy. We have God pursuing his people. He's been caring for them. He's been reestablishing connections with them. Uh, he's reestablishing connections with the land. He gives them a promised land. Uh, and yet, yet God's people keeps, keep wandering off and seeking to do their own thing. And when Jesus has shows up, the kingdom of Israel has uh, hundreds of years before been broken up and scattered in exile by the Babylonians. And when the Babylonian Empire fell, the leader of the Persian Empire that rose up allowed some of the Jewish people back to return to Jerusalem and try to rebuild a bit. But, but by the time Jesus shows up, uh, the Persians are long gone and the Roman Empire is now ruling. And Israel is more kind of like an occupied state. And so we find Jesus and his disciples smack in the middle of a time of great political and religious turmoil. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, can you? Maybe. There, there, there's a longing for Israel to be set free from oppression. And there's all kinds of factions and groups that are emerging. Every so often, someone pops up claiming to be the, the Messiah, the person foretold in the Old Testament that will set Israel free and restore things and usher in peace. To, the peace um, this Messiah is going to be is, is who everyone's waiting on. But, but so far, all the guys that have uh, showed up and claimed that have ended up dead, um, and their followers have been scattered. But then there's Jesus. He's started to gather a following, and it's uh, an eclectic group. They believe he's the one who uh, will bring about the restoration of the kingdom, but they come from all different places, and, and they probably all have different ideas of what's going on. Uh, and, and all of them have too small of an idea of what it means that God's kingdom is at hand. They're, they're thinking nationally and Jesus is thinking cosmically. So there's, there's Matthew, um, the, the person who wrote the gospel that, that we're looking into this morning. He was formerly a tax collector. 
Uh, he was a person who looked at his options uh, as a Jewish man and thought, you know what, I'm going to look out for me. I'll work for Rome. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of technically betraying my people but, and they're the oppressors, but hey, it's good money. Right? I'll pad my pockets on the side and it'll all be all good. Right? He's hated by his own people. Like tax collectors are kind of the scum of the earth in that culture. Um, but he's hustling, right? And then he meets Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew does. And then if we think about another one of Jesus' disciples, uh, there's a guy named Simon the Zealot. Um, and this is, actually, this is kind of crazy, right? Uh, the Zealots are like the religious terrorists of the day. Simon hears the kingdom of God is at hand, and he is ready to kill Romans. He wants an uprising, and yet somehow um, he hears something compelling when Jesus calls him and he follows him. And then there's, there's Peter, who I think a lot, a lot of people are more familiar with, and he's another one of the disciples of Jesus, and we, we end up finding him um, when Jesus is arrested later on. He's, he's hacking off the ear of a guy in, in, in the garden when Jesus is getting arrested. Uh, and what I'm getting at here is that there isn't exactly clarity about the kingdom of heaven at this point in the story, in the Gospel of Matthew. At least not among the people on the ground, the people who are even following Jesus. And it's at this point in Matthew's Gospel um, where the entire story shifts from Jesus mainly doing miracles in large crowds to him explaining what's going on to the disciples. It's in this setting of expectation that Jesus drops these parables. So expectations. When Jesus shows up, most people are looking for a grand uprising against the oppressive Romans. Um, some are ready to take up arms like Simon. There's others like Matthew who have made their peace and um, they're just making a living. And crowds of people are following Jesus all over the place. And so we get to a story in verses 24 to 30 of Matthew 13 about what the kingdom of heaven may be, con be compared to. It's about a man who sows seeds in his field, and while his servants are sleeping, someone sneaks in and sows weeds in the field. Nobody notices till things start growing, and then they realize there's a problem. The servants want to remove the weeds, but they're told not to because they might uproot the wheat so they're told to wait until harvest time to sort it out. One of, one of the great things about this parable is Jesus actually explains it to us. Um, and uh, and uh, when we jump down to verses 36 to 43, um, we find that like the disciples didn't really get what he was talking about, so they, they ask him. And, and it's good that Jesus explains it to us because the parable is rather strange and unexpected. And, and, but yet, like, his ex explanation actually is kind of strange, too. Um, Jesus' explanation doesn't seem to match up with a lot of the expectations about the kingdom that I've explained so far. The kingdom of God doesn't appear to deal with all the evil and oppression and injustices of the world and, and wipe them away in one shot, right? There, there appears to be enemies present alongside the sons of the kingdom in verse 38. And the kingdom isn't, isn't just like one place. It's not like Jerusalem. It, it's, it, it's not physically located in one place. It appears to be scattered throughout the whole world. 
Um, the field, as, as Jesus explains it, it, he says it's the whole world. So, so let, let's pause here for just a moment. I, I think this parable pushes back against many of our assumptions about who God is and how we think he should act in the world if he really is God. Um, just like it, it would have done that with Jesus' followers back then. It forces a question. If Jesus really is God and God is powerful and in control and Jesus has come to set things right in our own lives and in the world, then why is there such evil present? Have you questioned the goodness or competence of God over the last couple of years? Like, what, what, what do you do when um, there's still a thousand people a day dying from COVID in this country and, and there's people that are just constantly attacking and vilifying each other over disagreements about uh, how to uh, address the pandemic? Right? What, what do you do when, when you look on, on your Twitter feed or Facebook or your, the evening news or, or however you get your news and, and you see that there's, there's trials going on right now over the shooting last year in, in Kenosha or the killing of Ahmaud Arbery? Right? Well, what, what do you do when you've experienced trauma in the church, right? a place that you're supposed to find healing? What do you do when, when you can't find work right now or, or you're separated from loved ones because travel restrictions and everything just seems to change all the time? Well, well you, can, you can make peace with the current situation, I guess, and, and try to make a buck, right? That's what the author of, uh, of, of Matthew, uh, Matthew does, right? He, that's what he tried. Um, you can try to take up arms and pick a fight. Um, Social media seems to be the place right now for that. Um, but Jesus' parables push us in a different direction. Our passage is not so much concerned with explaining the presence of evil or eradicating it, but rather how to live with the present reality of evil in the world by entrusting judgment to God. And this is a really hard thing to do. Because we, we don't want to see or experience pain and suffering, do we? We don't want to see others experience it. We don't want to experience it ourselves. Or, or when we see it, we, we want to set things right, like right now, right? We want to get up and do something about it. Um, we want to get to the flourishing that comes from God together with his people in his place. And we want it now. This flourishing, that, that's the vision that we're given in the Bible. Um, by the time we get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, our future hope. We're given a vision of renewed heavens and earth, a place where God will wipe away every tear from every eye. People will neither hunger nor thirst anymore, and there's peace. There's no more violence. There's boys and girls playing in the streets. But right now, right, right now, like, like I got to wear a mask just to sit in the same room with other people, right? And, and there's another mass shooting in the news a couple days ago, and, and there's, there's new stories of abuse that have been coming out in the church. Um, and what do you do? So it's so a question for, for us all right now, like, what are your expectations of the kingdom of heaven, right? What are your expectations of Jesus right now? And so, 
so if we hold those expectations uh, in mind and we move on to um, kingdom reality, what is the reality of the kingdom? These parables confront us um, with that reality. The reality of God's presence, his rule, God bringing peace and restoration to his people in the world. God's kingdom in these parables seems to be bursting into our reality. And these parables, what they're doing is, is they're kind of stretching things out. And they do this in two ways. One is that they, they stretch out the timeline of, of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven um, being fulfilled. Jesus shows up and, and he's the one who's to restore all things that are broken. He's the one who connects us back to God and, and helps us orient uh, ourselves properly to relate to each other. Um, and, and as well as to the creation around us, uh, and, and even to understand ourselves. But we don't really fully experience the full weight of that uh, until sometime in the future when Jesus returns and ushers in the fullness of the kingdom. And, and we get a little glimpse of this in the first of the two little parables that are sandwiched in the middle of the parable of the weeds and its explanation. In verse 31, the, it says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when it is grown, it becomes this large tree that gives shelter and life. The kingdom starts out small in, in, in weakness and insignificance. Um, but in the end, we have this picture of flourishing, uh, of peace. But it takes time to reach its full glory. And then the next parable um, stretches out the sphere of influence of God's kingdom. Right? It, so, so in a sense, um, it's, we're being reset to the original vision of the kingdom, one that stretches to encompass the entire world. So while we have this kind of stretching out over time, we have the stretching out where it, it reaches all the far reaches of the world. In, in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of God spreads out into all the world. It, it's not cloistered away in, in one little corner or one city, but it impacts the entire world. It works through like leaven in bread. And then this, this idea, it, it's actually kind of connected to the parable of the weeds that, that sandwiches these parables. Um, if we go down to verse 38, we're told that this field, like it's the entire world. And then what's really interesting is that the seed that gets scattered in the world is actually us, the sons of the kingdom. It's those of us that belong to Jesus. Um, and we're scattered by the Son of Man. Now, now the title, the Son of Man, um, it's actually a reference back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. In Jan Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, someone called the Son of Man is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Uh, that, <coughs> excuse me, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And the Son of Man is actually Jesus, right? He's the one with dominion over the whole world. And, and in this parable, he, he's scattering us. All right, so... So, so far so good, but it gets more complicated. We're told that there's other seeds that are being scattered among us. The sons of the evil ones sown by the devil. 
That doesn't sound good. There's evil in the world. And then this seed that's scattered, it's, it's a very specific kind of seed. Um, it, it's called a darnel. Um, what it is, is it looks very similar to wheat as it grows. Um, and it's especially problematic once it reaches maturity because its roots harbor a fungus that is poisonous and will kill the wheat. And those roots, right from the time that they sprout, intertwine with the roots of the wheat, which is why they can't be pulled out until harvest time. That sounds bad. Um, I'm not a farmer, but, but that doesn't sound like fun at all. Um, but th this is the picture that we're given um, that, that as we follow Jesus um, and as we're seeking to grow up, um, grow in maturity and, 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 and reflect more of who Jesus is, evil is right there with us the whole way. And so, so we have all these expectations of what we think Jesus, um, following Jesus is like and what being a part of the kingdom should be like. And then we're confronted with the reality that, that we're in it, this, this kind of, it's this in-between sort of time where we're waiting to experience the fullness of peace and flourishing that come from Jesus restoring all things. And then we who follow Jesus are scattered throughout the world and the kingdom encompasses the whole world. And then, then at the same time, um, evil and suffering and injustice is very real and in your face. And, and what do we do in, in, in all of this that's jumbled up together? Um, what, what, what is our present experience of the kingdom of God? Um, what does it look like? Well, it, it, it's really easy to, to look at the world and get discouraged right now. And then going through this passage and hearing about how evil is with us and it's not going away, it isn't all that encouraging either. But, but if we keep the image of the flourishing mustard tree, uh, which points us to the hope of God restoring what is broken in the world and the image of being spread out through all the world as leaven, um, it's pointing us in the right direction. Here's what I mean. What, what does it mean to flourish, right? It, it's like it's a sense of well-being, of, of growth and health and life and peace. Um, it's an image of a restored kingdom where God and humanity and the rest of creation are properly related to each other. Um, in a sense, it's the same sort of thing as, as being fruitful, um, which is actually what came up in the parable of the sower that we looked at last week. Um, that comes right before our passage. Right, if you were with us last week, um, you may remember that um, in, in that parallel, there's all these seeds that are planted and only some of them took root in good soil and grew. Um, some of the others faded away, some got choked um, and died. Um, but but the, the seeds that took root in good soil and grew, um, the word of God being implanted in, in, in people. People hear the word of God, they understand it, um, it goes deep, it changes them, and they start bearing crazy amounts of fruitfulness. Um, they're flourishing. And then, then you come right after that to the parable of the weeds, and it's as if those communities of flourishing people, grounded in the word of God, 
are scattered all over the place. And they're becoming outposts of the kingdom, the representatives of the kingdom of God all over the place. God, God's, God's scattering them. Um, they bring flourishing to the world around them. They're, they're, they're working their way through the mess of this world like leaven. And, and we work to see the flourishing of the world around us, right? That, that's actually what uh, Emmanuel's vision statement's all about. Um, if you've been with us for a while, uh, you'll have heard it. It's actually the first thing on the very inside cover um, that you see. It says, Emmanuel Anglican Church exists to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Right, we, 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 we want to see flourishing. We want to be about that. Um, that's why we're here. Um, the thing is that, that as communities and, and people scattered out in the world, um, we can be a mix of fruitful and unfruitful. Sometimes it's like right at the same time. Um, because of that, we, we, we sometimes we, we make a mess of things. But, but if we're coming back to God's word, if we're grounded in the word of God, um, which points us to Jesus, um, it means that we can be bringing our brokenness to him. Uh, and as he heals us and as he causes us to grow, um, we, we can own the mess that we make or the mess that we are. We, we, we can take it to Jesus. We keep taking it to Jesus. And in doing so, um, this allows us to build trust in Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's rebuilding trust again. Um, and, and, and part of that trust is actually um, trusting that Jesus will indeed bring judgment on evil that runs rampant in the world. Right? That's where the last part of our parable comes into play. Right? There's this whole bit about judgment. And I know that makes some of us squirm, um, it, it's, it's one thing to be captivated by Jesus' grace and love and power and strength and healing. But what about his judgment? Well, I think one of the things that allows us to be a community that brings flourishing to the world that we're in is actually this hope that comes out of a judgment. Um, knowing that in the end, God will take evil to task and that all who don't entrust themselves to God's grace, um, they're not going to just get off the hook. Um, the th th thing about, about this judgment as we see it in our passage is that, that we're not responsible for that final judgment. That's what Jesus does. Um, and there, there's, there's immense freedom that comes from that. We're not, not responsible for judging that people that final judgment, but, but we can call out injustice, oppression, sin, hurt, pain, when we see it. Um, we can fight against it. We can seek justice. We can resist oppression and the like. Um, we are, after all, an outpost of the kingdom of God, an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Um, we're, we're not going to be working towards flourishing um, by ignoring things uh, that are wrong and harmful um, and tolerating them. But, 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 but when we, we entrust ourselves to God and we, we trust him that, that his judgment is right, um, we're actually freed to do those things um, like 
seeking justice and seeking the welfare of the city that we're in and 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 being this expression of a fruitful of uh, of a a kingdom that's flourishing um and and uh and we're able to do that and, and we're able to do it even even if we're not successful see see what enables us to to be a community that is that, that, that flourishes, that grows, that, that, um, that cares for each other, um, is that, that we're constantly entrusting ourselves to Jesus, who is trustworthy to see that justice is done, especially when there's situations that are just out of our control. Therein lies our hope. Right? Therein lies our hope that, that God will make things right. Um, and then uh, that's how I think, that we, you know, I, I went back to the collect of the day when we started. That's how we can pray that prayer. Right? Oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life. Grant that having this hope we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.